I believe my most rewarding moment of ministry happened about 16 years ago outside of Nairobi, Kenya. I think I've mentioned this before, but for those of you who weren't here, I was preaching in a slum outside of Nairobi, and I was, it was in a, I was in a dust bowl. It was a big dust bowl, and there was a, a makeshift platform. I was not married yet, and so I didn't have maybe the sensitivity to kids that I do now. Sensitivity in the regards to if I see one that's struggling, you know, I want to I help them. And where I was preaching there, there was always dozens and dozens of kids. The car would pull up, and the kids would surround the car. You get out of the car, and they want to come around you and touch you and, 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 and just grab a hold of you. And I have to admit, I looked at these kids, and they were all very, very dirty. And some of them were very, very smelly as well. And, and I would just kind of, in my Western mindset, think, why can't they just throw them in a lake? You know, I mean, at least that they clean up a little bit there. Very negative kind of mindset. After being there just a few days, I was getting my uh, projector out of the back of the trunk to set up for the, the evangelistic meetings that we were doing. And I I'm pulling this projector out of the trunk, and I step back, and I slam into something. I feel myself hit something, and I immediately turn around to see what it is, and there's this kid laying on the ground, and I looked down at him, and he looked up at me, and when he looked up at me, his eyes just fill up with tears. He was just uh, three years old. His eyes fill up with tears, and I immediately, I guess there was some instinct in me in there, I immediately set my case down and I reached down, I scooped up little Kamau up in my arms. And what I would describe as one of the most rewarding events of my ministry ensued over the next three weeks. And I'll explain why in a few minutes. But first, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. We are in a series called Peculiar Living, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a brief pause next week for the sermon on, from the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Leah Jordash, one of the many members that is a pastor within our church congregation, will be preaching next week, and you don't want to miss that. She'll, you'll be blessed by that. And then, uh, and then the following week, we're, I'm going to be sharing a message on the Holy Spirit, and we'll get back to the Sermon on the Mount in June. But today we are in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The first verse of chapter 6 is an introduction to everything that is written or everything that Jesus spoke that we read between chapter 6 verses 2 through 18. Chapter 5 actually ends with the statement, you may remember it, be ye perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. So chapter 5 says, chapter 5 ends with a statement by Jesus, be this. This is who you are to be. Be perfect. Be this. But then chapter 6, the very next verse in chapter 6 says, but be careful. Be this, but be careful. Be this, but don't let your perfection be about being seen by others. And to be noticed by others. Then Jesus gives three examples. Giving to the needy. If you're reading the King James, it talks about giving alms. Praying and fasting. 
In all three of these, I think it is important for us to note that Jesus has the expectation that we as his followers will be participating in all three of these things, giving, praying, and fasting. Jesus said, therefore, when you give to the needy, verse 2, he said in verse 5, and when you pray, and then he said in verse 16, and when you fast. In other words, he didn't say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast, he had the expectation that these are things that we're going to be doing as Christians. He's saying this is who you are, and this is what you're going to be doing as a Christian. Jesus does not equivocate on this. But he has a warning in regards to to how we do things. You know, the the Sermon on the Mount is very easy to read from the standpoint of, and, and, and go through it and think, okay, God's telling me I have to do this, and I have to do this activity, and I have to do this activity. The more I read it, what I see Jesus saying is, I expect because you claim to be followers of me that you're already doing all these things. This is who you are. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing that. So the issue isn't about any of that. It's what matters inside, what's going on, the, the purpose behind it. And so back in verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Be perfect as your Father is in heaven is perfect, but be careful in regards to how you practice your righteousness. This text could be perceived as contradicting something that we studied just a few weeks ago when we read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. You may remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, which says, Let your light so shine before men that others may what? See your good works and give glory to your God in heaven. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Do this so that it can be seen. And now Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 is saying, Do things so they're not to be seen. So which is it? Well, it is actually both. I like the way that A.B. Bruce explains it. He says, each statement is addressing different sins, different struggles that we have. Matthew chapter 5 is addressing our fear of witnessing, our fear of, 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 of being seen as different in the world. It's addressing that, that, that moment in us when we, when we say, you know what, I don't want people to know that, that I'm a Christian, or I don't want people to, to, I don't want to be that different than the world. And so Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 is saying, show who you are to the world. But in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, our pride is being addressed. Our pride is being addressed. To quote Bruce directly, he says, We are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. I like that. When we're tempted to say, you know what? I I don't want anyone to know who I am. I don't want to be seen by the world in any way. Jesus says, you know what? I want you to show your works. But in that moment where we're saying, man, I want to do this, and people will see me and give me credit, and awesome, 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 I'm awesome, Jesus says, wait, check yourself. Watch where you are out. Martin Lloyd-Jones states this this way. He says, this shows the delicate nature, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, these, these, these seeming contradictions show the delicate nature of the Christian life. The Christian life is always a matter of balance and poise. It's always a matter of balance and and poise. And if you look throughout Christian history, if you look at the story of Christian history, you'll see that this is something that has been challenging for believers throughout the centuries. There are some Christians who have embraced the ostentatious Christian life, and, and, and they want to uh, show it and demonstrate it in such a way that it almost becomes fake and, and showy, or sometimes it is fake and showy. 
Others have been so afraid of of self and self-glorification that they have segregated themselves away from the world. They, 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 they're not witnesses. They're not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not ministering to anybody because they're like, I can't be with the world because I've got to be so exclusive to myself. I remember this was a challenge that I had when I, when I first became a Christian. About six months in, I discovered something. I had accepted Jesus, and I'm still struggling with sin. Oh, my goodness. Ah, what do I do? You know, I was supposed to be a better person, and there were still some of these, these old things that I was struggling with. And so I thought to myself, well, you know what? If I'm still struggling, then I must... I, I need to do things, do more to try to get better. We used to have a, kind of a party every Thursday night at our house when I was a kid. Uh, we'd have basketball. We usually had basketball games on Thursday night. And then after the basketball games, everyone would come over to my house, a bunch of people, like 20-some of my friends, and we would watch the shows Friends and Seinfeld. Some of you may remember those shows. We, we recorded them on VHS tapes. Some of you may remember VHS tapes. You remember that? So we recorded these, and after, after the basketball games were over, we'd go to the house and we'd watch these, these shows on, on our VHS tape. Well, I was a Christian, uh, a new Christian, and I was still struggling with sin and stuff, and so I decided I just need to separate from, from everything, and I don't necessarily disagree with some of these things. There's probably things I should have been watching and separating from, but what I did is all my friends would come over to my house, and I would go upstairs into my room and shut my door and lock my door and like pull out an Ellen White book and just sit there and read it and be like... I can't talk to anybody. I can't. They come upstairs. Hey, Chad, you come? No, no, don't talk to me. I'm, I'm, I want to segregate from the world. My friends would call me on the weekend. Chad, we're all going over to Julie's house. We're all going over to Scott's house. We'll, we'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. I tell them yes, and then I would never show up. And they say, "Where were you? Why didn't you show up?" Because I felt like I had to segregate myself from everyone. There's this. There's this tension that we have in this Christian walk in this Christian walk. And the thing is, if we make these things that we study in the Sermon on the Mount as rules which we have to obey, we'll eventually end up in one of the ditches on one side or the other. Either overly ostentatious and always trying to show how great we are as Christians or excluding, exclusive and, and, and segregating ourselves away. But if we are led in our hearts by our love for Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, this balance can be found. This tension between, between showing and, and hiding. And the very first area that we're going to explore today is in relation to our giving, particularly in how we serve and give to those who are in need. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. Thus, the Bible says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, when we talk about giving here, we need to be mindful to not just associate this simply with just money and with treasures. What, what the, the giving that we, we need to be thinking about when giving to the needy, we need to be thinking about our, our time, our treasures, and our talents. Some of you are blessed with treasure that you're able to give to others in a more abundance than some others. Some of you are blessed with, with more talents in specific areas that can minister to the needy. Some are blessed with more time that you can give towards certain areas. It's, it's all three. 
And the Bible says, though, that when we're giving to the needy, we need to be mindful to not do it by sounding a trumpet. Now, Jesus uses here a bit of hyperbole. There's not really any evidence that, that, that I know of that can be found, and as I study the commentaries, that can be found that the, that the Pharisees actually blew trumpets. But, but this, is, this is hyperbole. He's, 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 he's making a point here, illustrating the spirit that exists within some folks' heart as they give. Remember, Jesus expects us to give, as I already stated. But as he has throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he's more concerned with the motivations of our actions than our actual actions. We can give and have the wrong motivations, and Jesus doesn't like that giving. Or we can give with the right motivations, and that honors Jesus. This was a struggle of Pharisees and other individuals in that day in relation to their giving. You may remember in John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus said of the Pharisees, You receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God. And then some of the elite people of the day, John wrote about them, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This was a challenge that they had in their day just as we have it in our day. There's that, there's that sense that they'd rather actually receive praise from man than knowing that, that they bless God. We may similarly struggle. Maybe we, as John Stott said, like to at times blow our own trumpets. I know I struggle with this sometimes. Maybe some of you do as well. We like to blow our own trumpets. Or maybe we find our, our egos boosted just a little bit when our names are on a, a record of givers or, or when we have something named after us. Or maybe we've had this conversation. Think upon this conversation. I say maybe we have, I can say for sure I have had this conversation, and I'm not talking about someone else having it with me. I'm saying that I've actually said these words. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. I didn't give or I didn't help them because I was expecting any kind of thanks, but, but I mean it would have been nice if they would have at least acknowledged what I did. Anyone just nod subtly if you've ever heard this type of conversation. I mean, is there any more contradictory of a, of a, of a statement? So, so what you're telling me is you did this not to receive thanks, but you wanted thanks. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, exactly. Think about the paradox of that. Yes, you did. That's why you gave. If you say afterwards, I gave and I didn't expect anything in return, but it would have been nice if they had given me something in return, then guess what? You gave to expect something in return. Sorry to burst your bubble. I've said it. I think some of you also did by the way you laughed and smiled awkwardly at points. Jesus said that in this world, when we give, we will receive a reward. We will receive a reward. But that reward is the praise of our fellow man. Even that scenario I just gave, even that scenario that I just gave, think about this. You all know we've been there, right? So someone says, I didn't give like expecting them to say thank you or anything, or I didn't give because I wanted them to say thank you, but it would have been nice for them to at least acknowledge it. And then the person that you are talking to, here's what we often say. Here's what we often say. Oh, you're right. That was really good of you. They should have acknowledged that. And we're like, yeah, see? That's our praise. We just received our praise from the person. We told the person because we want that person we're talking to to affirm what we did. And Jesus says, you will receive your reward in this, on this earth, but that's all the reward it is, the acknowledgement of other people. But the reward ends there. But Jesus doesn't actually end there. He gets even more personal and more in-depth on this. He then tells us in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And maybe this verse hits home even a little more with some of us. We may preserve our our anonymity, but in our hearts we are quietly congratulating ourselves. We are quietly congratulating ourselves. John Stott again wrote, So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it is possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from men while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. Oh, I'm, be, I'm doing this totally altruistically. I am so awesome, man. Let me pat myself on how far can I reach on my back to... That's what, that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying. We think we're being completely altruistic. We think we're, we're doing this for all the right reasons, and, and we don't want any affirmation. We don't want anyone to know, but maybe we really do. One preacher told a story, I love this story, of an event that he was invited to by this lady, uh, this very influential lady within the community, and, and she wanted him to preach at this event, and, and she was starting a ministry, and she told this man all about this ministry, and she said, Pastor, I'm starting a ministry, and I'm not going to, to make any appeals at all for any resources. I don't want anyone to know about it. I don't want people to know about my involvement in it. I'm just going to pray and ask God to, to bless and to be, to be faithful in his giving. I mean, in how he gives. Like George Mueller. George Mueller would just kneel down privately, and money would show up on his doorstep. And she was, that's, that's, how, that's how I want to be. And she invited him to this event. He went to this event, and he, and, and he was one of several speakers there. And one speaker spoke, and then, and then before he got up to preach, this lady gets up, and she gives a 10-minute talk about how she started this ministry, and she doesn't want anyone to know about it. She doesn't want, doesn't want it to be, her, her involvement to be known, and, and she doesn't want anyone to give money out of, a, out of an appeal, but just by faithfulness and as, as George Mueller did, that she prays and that money just shows up on her step. And the preacher said after that, he looked at it and he, thought, and he said, for not wanting to make appeal, that's the best appeal I've ever heard. Right? Some of us like, in, in our, des- it, we, we say we don't want any acknowledgement of anything and we're not announcing these things, which is really just another way of announcing them. I'm not going to tell you about this, but let me tell you about this. So in that, Jesus says, not only don't let anyone else know about what you're doing, but don't let yourself know either. Don't let yourself know what you're doing either. Obviously, again, an exaggerated statement by Jesus because we can't keep our giving from ourselves. We, we know if we give. I mean, some of us have selective amnesia. Could you take out the trash? Yeah, I got it. I take out the trash. Why didn't you take out the trash? Oh, I totally forgot I mean, some of us have that selective amnesia, but when we give something, we know, we know that, we're, that we're giving something. So what is Jesus saying here? Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed that Jesus was referring to the left hand as the, sim, as the symbolism, as the old man of self. My middle child, Landon, is a left-handed kid, and after the church service, I praise God, he listens to my sermons. He's seven years old. He came up to me afterwards. He goes, Daddy, why do people always say that the left hand is bad? He's, he's not too keen on this, so I'm going to explain it to him later. If you've got some good things I can tell him, tell me. But, uh, but, but so, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the left hand is a symbolism of the old man of self, and the right hand is a symbolism of the new man or the new woman in 
Christ. And thus Jesus was, was warning us to pay attention that even our private giving, we don't allow the old man of self to rise up and congratulate the new man and then thus harm that giving, harm that, make that impact. The old life of self is, is the old life of self is self-centeredness. The new life in Christ is uncalculated generosity. And Jesus is saying, don't let that old man rise up as, as you're being moved by Christ to do something for others. Jesus then ends this section of the teaching by saying, and your father, right here in uh, chapter 6, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This seems like an awkward ending to me, logically. Jesus just told us not to do anything for, out of self. But even it seems like seeking the rewards of heaven seem like a matter of self. Some people have had a, a challenge with this, with this text because they see an inherent inconsistency with this passage. We're, we're not to, to give to receive glory from man. We're not to receive glory from ourselves, but it's okay to somehow do it for, to get praise from, from God. They see an inconsistency there. Some people also struggle with this passage because they think of it in terms of heaven. And they say, okay, God says, God says here, the reward is, it sounds like it's in the future. And so in their minds, they're thinking, okay, well, this is salvation by works. If I do good with the right spirit, then God will give me the reward of heaven. The reward of heaven. Salvation by works. But maybe the reward that Jesus is speaking one uh, that Jesus is speaking of isn't one that can be given by another human to us, or maybe it's not a gift that can be even be given to ourselves—a gift of pride and, and self congratulation. And maybe the reward isn't even something that God gives us in regards to maybe the future sense. But maybe it's a reward that God has given to us that is intrinsic within each one of our hearts. Maybe the reward is just that, that by doing good, we feel the reward. Maybe the reward is from God in that it is a product of the way that God made us. Let me share two quotes with you from two great writers to help explain it further. First, C.S. Lewis, he concludes about this text. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. What then is the reward which the Heavenly Father gives the secret giver? Lewis says, it is neither public nor necessarily future. It is probably the only reward which genuine, loves, genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy, namely to see that need relieved. When through his gifts or her gifts, the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love, which is God's own love expressed through humanity, by the way, brings with it, with it its own secret rewards and joys, and thus desires no other reward." And the one who wrote many years before Lewis put it in her classic, Ellen White's classic, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Listen to what she wrote. No one can give place in his own heart and life for the stream of God's blessing to flow to others without receiving, and listen to this language, in himself or in herself a rich reward. It's from within us. 
It's the way God made us. The work of beneficence, I struggle with that word in first service too. I can't, I got to practice that one at home. The work of beneficence is twice blessed. While he or she that gives to the needy blesses others, he or she is blessed in still a greater degree. The work of beneficence is twice blessed. Is blessed. What they're both describing here is that the reward is just something that happens within us when we discover the, the beauty of giving for the right reasons. The reward that comes from completely unselfish giving is a reward that comes from us being able to see a need met. This little boy, Kamau, in Africa, was there at my car from the moment I got there around 11 o'clock until dark. Around 9 o'clock at night, he would go, his older sister would come out and take him. Three years old, a three-year-old kid. Never saw him with any adults, never saw him with anyone except for this ramble of kids going around. And I knocked that kid down, and I looked down at him, and he looked up at me, and he had these huge tears in his eyes. And in that moment, I scooped him up, and I wiped his tears away from his eyes, and he stopped crying, and I set him back down, and I got my case, and I started to walk away, and a little hand slipped into my hand. And for the next three weeks, no matter where I went, that little hand slipped into my hand and walked with me everywhere. I had to finally sit him on the front row so he wouldn't go up on the platform with me. (laughs) And there were other things that happened at those meetings that people wrote about, and there was things written about and stuff that took place at those meetings. But when I think back on that 16 years ago, I think of it as one of the most rewarding ministries moments in my life. When out of just an instinct from God, I met a need of a kid that needed love and attention. And I discovered that Jesus' words are indeed true. That it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. And that is all the reward that we need. So I want you to go home today. This is your action step. Go home today. Pray about it. Write about it. And ask God to put in your mind a couple things that you can do this week. Not to be seen by others, not to receive praise, but for the glory of God, that he'll put that desire in your heart. A couple things you can do this week that are simply giving to understand the reward of Jesus, that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you give to us in abundance through your amazing grace. Lord, the rewards of praise that the world gives, they feel good, but they don't bring the truest joy. They're insufficient. The rewards that that we give to ourselves and feeling good about ourselves and patting ourselves on the back, also insufficient. The reward of heaven, Lord, that's not based on anything that we've done or our works. That's just a gift to us. 
But we thank you that in the here and now, we still can have the reward of discovering that you are true to your word, discovering that giving to those in need is the reward in and of itself when we give with the heart and with the love of Jesus. Lord, help us each to follow you and to give as you have given to us. In your name we pray. Amen.